0: One of my favorite books when I was little was all about a squirrel getting ready for winter. And whenever I have to set myself up before I can start talking, I always feel like that squirrel. Just like, getting all my acorns in a row. All right, good morning. Um, Before I deliver my message, which kind of traditionally when someone uh, delivers a sermon, there's an an aspect of exhortation, you know, or correction in there. Um, Before I I enter into that portion, uh, I want to give a brief testimony, specifically about um, the last couple months of my life. Very, very brief. Uh, But I want to say that, um, much to my surprise, this has been a difficult semester for me. Uh, for those of you who don't know me i teach history over at xavier university this year and i was very surprised when i entered in thinking i was very prepared to have had an extremely stressful uh, semester and i have needed help this semester and i've received help and i've received help from this church not only over the last eight years but very specifically over the last two and a half months um, particularly from the the trishlers and from the millers from dana Mary C. And from my family, my, my parents who were here, if you were here on my ordination Sunday a month ago and you saw four identical noses in a row <laughs> right there, that was my family. Those are my kin. Um, and uh, my, both my parents and my brothers and sister-in-law have really stepped into, into my need. And so I, I want to say, as I'm, as I'm sitting here and talking to the church as we are in a season where we're talking about how the church can be a Jesus-shaped institution, I want to affirm that I I have lived in the Jesus shape of this church, particularly over the last two and a half months, and so I want to say thank you, uh, because when I show up on a Sunday morning, I feel safe and held by you, even when I'm not telling you that I'm I'm extremely stressed. So um, if you didn't know that, or I didn't communicate that to you before, your presence has still protected me on Sundays. Thank you, Randy. You were in that group that I met with on <laughs> Wednesday nights all of October as I was, like, <laughs> shedding hair and just, you know, very anxious. And I just feel like we need to hear these stories, right? We need, we need to hear the stories of success as well as we need to talk about when there's been pain, uh, which is actually what I'm going to talk about today. So my sermon today is a little bit of a companion piece to when I spoke in July with one major difference. In July, I talked about uh, um, forgiveness and reconciliation after moral injury, after something really serious has happened where there's been sin involved and forgiveness needs to happen. And to illustrate that, I talked about uh, the, the reconciliation that's been going on in Northern Ireland uh, since the Good Friday Agreement 25 years ago. This sermon is not about moral injury, but it is about pain. And so to illustrate that difference, I'm curious, did anybody play sports um, either as a small child or like going up through school? I see some nods. Yeah. Did you ever, you know, fall down or run into a goalpost and you had kind of like an old fashioned coach who said, you know, son, are you hurt or are you injured? And if they they determined that you were just hurt, they said, you rub some dirt on it. I think that as the church, we're, we're a little bit more comfortable, and we're getting more comfortable talking about injury. But, uh, we're, we're a little bit more comfortable talking about what happens after we've been punched rather than slapped. And today I'm going to talk a little bit more about slaps than punches. And I think that scripture maybe is a little bit more clear about the punches than the slaps. Uh, but I actually think we wrestle a lot with pain and disunity or after pain after embarrassment, after not getting our way, after disappointment, which might be equally as strong as when we can identify a sin and there's a process of reconciliation that has to happen in that. So that's what I want to talk about. Um, And I need to be careful here because, um, like Joni Mitchell, I have seen both sides now. I, I got ordained four weeks ago. I've been on the lead team, and I want to be very, very careful that I never dismiss someone's injury as, um, as a hurt and just tell them to rub dirt on it. So I need to be cautious here. At the same time, I want us to be mature and look at ourselves and really evaluate. What is it that I'm experiencing? Am I experiencing something where I need spiritual and relational triage or am I in pain? And do, I, do we need to be for better at forgiveness and reconciliation in the face of that? So here here is going to be my outline of what I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to talk very briefly about a communal living organization called uh, the Macedonia Community, which met in Georgia for about two decades in the first half of the 20th century, just to kind of give us an example of some communal living. I'm going to look at scripture, particularly the end of Romans 14 and the beginning of 15, to keep us in a little continuity with what Jeremiah and Meg and uh, Marty have been talking about. I'm then gonna offer a little bit of a personal confession and then uh, I'm gonna dig into what I think Paul's practical steps are here and maybe add one of my own at the very end. So Macedonia community, Romans, personal confession, practical steps, awesome. The United States is, is interesting for a couple of reasons and one of them is that we seem to attract experimental living communities, both people that come from outside the country and go, I think I can make this happen in the States, or Americans going, I'm gonna figure out a new way of living, I'm gonna try it here. So we actually have a long history of communal living experiments and utopian experiments, including here in the Midwest. There have been quite a few that have cropped up over the centuries before and after we became a nation state. And the Macedonia community is no exception It met uh, in a formal capacity from 1937 to 1958 in rural Georgia. And it was a part of sort of a back-to-the-land movement. It was was a uh, rural renewal movement, and it was fueled by Christians who wanted to abandon um, kind of the hyper-individualistic, hyper-capitalistic, culture that was developing in the United States after the Second World War, when we had split from our Soviet allies, we'd been allies during the Second World War, and now we're pushing against each other in these two big kind of civilizational uh, values, conflicts. And so American culture had become even more individual and even more um, invested in a a capitalist idea uh, to push back at our exact opposite, the Soviets. So there were a group of believers who met, they, were, they had farming, they were doing rural farming and crafts and had a toy making business. And what happened to Georgia, the Georgia community, the Macedonia community, is what happens to most communal living experiments, which is there was just disagreement after disagreement after disagreement and member after member left until there was just this small group left. They really couldn't run the community without a community and it dissolved, and the people that were left went to the Bruderhofs in, in upstate New York. And this is actually half of the pattern that we see with these utopias and communities in the United States. Either individual will just wins out over communal living over time, and it, it just breaks up piece by piece, or even worse, you have one personality that will dominate and the, co- the community lives to serve the will and the vision of one central guru um, or, or prophet kind of figure. And so it looks like communal living when really it's all of these people submerging their will under one will. And the church can go down one of these two paths too, right? We're a voluntary community. Nope, nobody's keeping us here, you know. We meet voluntarily and we can dissolve sort of bite by bite. Uh, Benjamin Franklin said empires are most easily dissolved at the edges like a cake, you know, just bite by bite. Or to stay together, we can find a really strong personality and just hang on for dear life and cease to be the church in both cases. So let me look at Romans. Let's, let's see what's going on here. We're in, at the end of a big conversation about food. And Jeremiah um, has gone into that in quite, de- quite a lot of detail. So let's look at what Paul is saying to the church in Rome. So I'm going to read Romans 14 19 through 22, and then 15 1 through 6. I'm going to hold it close to me because I'm old. Okay. Therefore, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Chapter 15. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We should all please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. That's a life verse for historians. so that we might have the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide that we might have hope may the god who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that just that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify god the father of our lord jesus christ so again this is at the end of a long conversation that paul is having about food And we can see a lot of parallels to conversations that Paul and the other apostles are also having about circumcision, which is very tied in with scripture and authority, and how to integrate outsiders into a Jewish community, how to integrate Gentiles into a Jewish community. Um, and, And these conversations were not peripheral. To this community they were serious conversations they were uh, considered real differing values but they weren't about moral injury right they are real they're serious they were shaping this community but they're not about sin per se and we have these same kinds of disagreements in in our church and in the church writ large and i think some ones around which um, we have genuine disagreements uh, that are probably the same from church to church are how do we spend our money? How do we use our space, our building? To what ministries, internal or external, do we give our time and our energy? And you know, who do, who do we hire? Like, these are the kinds of questions where people can really rub up against each other in uncomfortable ways. These aren't issues of moral injury, but they are issues of judgment. They involve negotiation. And uh, they have the potential for very serious disagreement and frustration and let's just face it, like pain. These can be pain points in churches and between people who love each other. So I see three main points that Paul is getting at that would help us think about unity after pain and maybe even unity inside of pain while pain's still going on. And those three things are these. Peace, and mutual edification are tied together. They are are inextricable from each other. Two, when we walk through this, we are to do so in the imitation of Christ, who um, gave up his own way for the benefit of weaker members. And that, in fact, to do this kind of work, we are going to need endurance, and where that comes from. So, in order to talk about that, if I'm going to speak about that with any credibility, I've now come to my personal confession. Did anyone here has anyone gotten to see the um, the stage play of the Screw Tape Letters? I think it was here right before the pandemic, maybe December of 2019. May just one? No. Oh, guys, let me tell you, you have got to go see this. It is a two-man show. And the actor playing Screw Tape is the only one who speaks. The other actor is actually a um, a dancer by profession and has no lines, but is on stage the entire time, and it is a purely physical performance. And the, the, this other actor plays this kind of feathered demon who is taking dictation as Screwtape writes the letter to Wormwood and then occasionally does other things. And the thing in particular that was uh, of interest to me is that around this stage, which is like an office, there are all these little caches, all these little trap doors, and the little feather demon, when he's not taking dictation, will go around and pop open his little trap doors and pull out comedically large bones to chew on during the performance. So in my time being a part of a church, and in particular in my time being on lead team, I accumulated some people that don't talk to me anymore. (laughs) And I have really chewed on those bones. And one thing that I've noticed is that Sunday mornings is when I find my little cache and I pop it open. And whether or not I'm preaching, those bones come out and they get a chew. And I need to be accountable to this body as a whole if I'm gonna sit up here and preach. Um, I have talked about this sort of individually with with people. But if I don't talk about it and I don't ask you to hold me accountable, I'll gnaw those guys down to dust, really. Because some of these bones are a couple years old now. And they've got teeth marks. So my ultimate thesis for today is this, as I go into looking at what Paul's steps are. Where we end up is where we start. Or in other words, how we end up when it comes to pain after disunity is how we started out in the first place. It's a reflection of how we were before the pain. So to maintain unity after pain, we have to be in a particular practice of seeking each other's peace and mutual edification before pain starts in the first place. So Paul's point number one, peace is tied to a commitment to each other's flourishing, what he calls mutual edification. So uh, when we talk about peace, it's a little bit easier sometimes to define what it's not uh, so that we can see what it is. And so um, peace is not a dismissal of difference. And it's certainly not a dismissal of difference by getting under an authoritarian figure who squashes all individuality. It's not that. Rather, uh, looking at the, the Jewish concept of peace in the word shalom, this is an idea of wholeness. It's not an absence of conflict, but it means even in the face of conflict that people remain whole. They don't have bites taken out of them in that process. And the word here is mutual. That is a really important word. If wholeness is really going to be whole, we're not going to sacrifice the most uh, vulnerable or uh, shy or peace-oriented members of our group in order to come to some kind of imaginary consensus. In fact, we have to make sure, and we can't abandon or blow up the work of God because we come to a point where we realize that our really good idea is not going to be the one (laughs) that has its day. Um, Neither of those things is the path on which Paul wants to set us. So because that isn't the path, we need a path. And the path, as, as always, when it comes to Paul and when it comes to the church, is in the person of Jesus. So to do this also, point number three, before I circle back around to, to Jesus and who he is and how he does this, is that um, this is hard work. We need endurance. We need what some like uh, recent developmental you know, child psychologists have called grit. Because staying in a space with someone like a church, staying in that space when someone has caused us pain takes endurance. Telling someone that they've caused us pain takes endurance. Staying put when someone tells us that we're the ones who caused them pain, that takes endurance too. My, uh, my grandpa Ranum, who is now late and who was a Nazarene pastor during his life, used to say that getting old stinks, but it beats the alternative. Uh, in other words, aging is not for sissies. And friends, staying true to the work of God while pursuing each other's mutual edification is not for sissies either. So what do we do? We pick up our feet and we point them towards the wholeness of our neighbor with whom we are in conflict, with whom we disagree. That means that we spend a lifetime, we spend our Christian walk even before that meditating on what that looks like, meditating on how the church can be whole, not just me in that group. Now, sometimes I'm going to admit that can involve a um, a step back. It might be a step back from a ministry, where uh, you realize that you're not on the same wavelength. But the question becomes, can we do that while maintaining the relationships and while not blowing up the work that is happening? Maybe we need to take a step back, but not out. That's okay. The way that we do that is by embracing submission to each other. This might be somebody else's day, somebody else's idea that gets their day, and it's not mine. Uh, We're not good at this. Right? We either go down the route of authoritarianism when we talk about submission, or we abandon it altogether. This is not something we celebrate in 21st century American culture. We are very, very dedicated to the individual. But this is an imitation of Jesus. Here's what Paul says about Jesus and submission in Philippians 2.7. I chose the King James for this one because I, I think it expresses it really beautifully. But he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. This is similar to what Paul says in the verses we just read in Romans 14 where it says, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me, the me being Jesus here. This is a lifestyle of the priesthood of all believers that we need to experience and we need to sustain a long-term practice of taking a back seat to our own pre- uh, preferences out of good judgment and spiritual discernment, not because we're always losing in a power struggle. That's not what I'm talking about. Again, this is not submerging a moral injury to protect the reputation of an institution or, as we often say, to protect Jesus' reputation. Strangely, his reputation has been fine despite all the stuff we've done to trash it. This is about the good of the body and the good of the work of God in the face of our own disappointment and maybe even our own embarrassment or pain. To do this, one thing we may need to pursue is that we do need to talk to a few people about what we're feeling. Like we need to judiciously choose a few people and say I don't like this. This does not feel good to me. I am I'm struggling with this decision. But Paul very interestingly says about some of this that we need to hold it between us and God. And I think that's so wonderful because he doesn't say keep it to yourself. He says hold it between you and God. The other one who holds these things with you. So we'll make some good judgment. When we're in pain, there might be a couple people that we talk to and the rest we keep between us and the one who holds our pain with us. But I'll say very lastly, there's only one thing that has really worked to get that bone out of my mouth when I've really got it in there. And this is something, it was so interesting that um, Anthony Jones preached on this, I think one of the last Sundays he was here, Meg, and I had heard him say it before, was that the only way that I get out of a, a pain spiral myself is I have to pray on behalf of the person that I perceive is causing me pain. And you know, not not pray, dear Lord, make so and so grow up and see things the way I see them. Give them maturity, Lord. Like me. That doesn't work. I have to pray, dear Lord, please bless so and so today. If they are facing pain or an obstacle, please get them over it. If they are alone and lonely, Lord, please be present with them. It's the only thing that has ever worked for me to get my teeth off that bone genuinely Um, because I have to want their mutual edification. I need them to be whole. If I'm going to be whole after pain, church, if we're going to be whole after pain, we even need the people with whom we disagree to be whole. Um, And we're going to have to do it over and over again. We're going to do it over and over again. This is a life. This is the life we've walked into. This is the life of submission that we've chosen. And so to practice that, we take the blood and the body of Jesus into our own bodies. We get rid of that thing that we've held onto in our mouths so that we can take in the good medicine, the good food that Jesus provided from his own body for us. So I'm going to hand over to Meg now who's going to lead us through reconciliation through Jesus' body.